You can't handle the truth about banking. And the US war plot to silence Australians and steal our resources. Coming up on this week's episode of The Citizen's Report. Welcome to The Citizen's Report. It's the 10th of August, 2023. I'm Robert Barwick, and I'm joined today by Citizens Party founder and leader, Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. Um, we've got to try and do this in a hurry, because I've got to go to the airport yeah, to go to Western Australia worry. to the next round of bank branch closure hearings. Um, but we've got a bit to get through. So, Craig, this week on the show, we're going to discuss... We're going to do an update on what's happening on the banking front, um, and also the fight back, which is which is actually intensifying, and it's uh, it's really great. But we've got the sheer arrogance of NAB on display, and I think you've got a good story about that. And we're also going to update people on on um, this social media censorship law, which is all about silencing Australians. But the real intent behind it, the original intent, it's an, there's an expanded agenda now, but the original intent was to um, shut down any kind of uh, truth emerging about especially foreign policy, right? Because the people behind it, the ones that, same ones that are pushing us into war. So stay tuned for that. Um, just remember before we start, uh, help us get this show seen. So like the show, share it on all your social media if you can. Subscribe if you're not a subscriber. And when you do, remember to click the bell icon. Please comment. The comments are great. And I do, I do try and engage, um, but we can, other people can do that as well. Um, the comment is very important. And also, uh, we have a donate button below for you to donate. You know, we, we're not commentators, we're activists. That's we're trying to, pay to change for your, this. Those donations help pay for your trip to go to the regional... That's right, my, my, my private Learjet to... Oh, to, yeah, the, you wish. Can, is that, can I take that this time? Oh, what with? <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so just You're to... in cattle class on... Cattle, cattle... Hey, proof. I'm on row 50. Yeah. Going to WA. 50. All right. So, so don't if you make more don- high on the if hot. you make more donations, you might get up to row thirty. <laughs> um, and it's not jet, it's not one of those fights you get out the back either. No, no, no. All right. Anyway. No. So okay. Um, uh, yeah, they, they, we appreciate the the, uh, the support we get from Australian citizens. We only get support from Australian citizens. So this is heating up. We're we're escalating to meet the the um, the, the battle, and we need your support. But because time's short, let's get into it. You can't handle the truth about banking. And um, quick update, Craig. So last week, um, I didn't do the show, Lisa and, and Richard did it, because I was in Canberra with Glenn Isherwood, and we were there to talk to politicians about the, the, the latest on the, the bank closures campaign and the National Bank. And the thing we focused on, which Lisa did cover on the show last week, was this lie that NAB has been caught out at with this lie. Um, and for the hell of it, we may as well play the, the quick clip from Martin North. Um, Martin did, a, did this best where, um, you know, a few weeks ago in the House Economics Committee hearing, the chairman, Daniel Molino, said to NAB, um, what do you, uh, how many visits do you get to a bank branch that don't involve transactions? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, uh, Rachel Slade, the NAB executive, said this. 
It's a great question. And those, those interactions that aren't, um, don't result in a transaction, they're, they're actually very challenging to, to measure. Um, we don't measure them. Um, we don't measure them. Um, we don't measure them. We don't measure them. And what is particularly galling about that is that NAB has been sending around these fact sheets to every branch that's closed uh, across Australia, and they've closed 34 branches this year alone, regional branches, bunch more in the cities, and those, those fact sheets claim that NAB is closing the branch because visitations have declined, and we now know they are lying through their teeth, right? Now, <laughs> um, NAB knows they've been caught out, Craig. We've made yeah. a big, big deal about this, uh, and in fact, I suspect NAB had its ear to the ground in Parliament, because Glenn and I were there talking to all the parliamentarians we could about this. We distributed the thing that they showed on the show here last week. We had this bank shame sheet, Glenn called it. We distributed that everywhere, right, to all these members of parliament. In fact, members of parliament called me back to say, oh, please, after they read it, please have a meeting with us, Mm. right? One member of parliament is going to have a demonstration outside the NAB branches in his electorate that are closing with our shame sheet. Um, Another one, a really feisty member of parliament gave us some Excellent tips, actually, and it was really good. What happens, Craig, is you go see these guys. They know it's an issue because it's they get the complaints all the time from their constituents, right? They know it's an issue, but they but politics makes them impotent. They feel powerless because they what they have this view that they see a smorgasbord of issues on the table, and they know that there's only a, there's a finite amount of time and space to deal with them all, right? And so there's a, they see the government, the existing government's political agenda, and they look at that and they go, how are we ever going to get that, get that issue to the, to the front of the line? They meet us and they get, in a sense, turned on because they see that, oh, hang on, the Citizens Party is part of a much broader campaign here that is actually taking this up, right? We're going to deal with some other, mm-hmm. other examples of that. Um, and then the, these politicians get fired up and then some of them were, I'm there telling them what's, what we're doing and then they're having all these um, lights come on in their head and they're coming back at me and say, well, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this. And they're, t- they're giving me tips from the inside of how to, how to make sure it gets noticed by the cabinet, etc. And it's like... But that's because we mobilise you know, an army behind yeah. what we do. And it's not just not a lone engaged. voice. Yeah. Right? And I think... I mean, look, Robbie, the, the issue... Well, I want you to tell your story in a second. I, can you hold that? I want to mention this particular comeback before we do. Go for it. Sit on your story. The bank that last Friday, the the Guardian newspaper covered this issue of NAB revealing Mm. it doesn't measure branch closures. And so they quoted Rachel Slade saying we don't measure... Must have got our fact sheet, I reckon. I think they did. They they, They quoted Rachel Slade and then they quoted Chrissy Jones. Now, Chrissy Jones... I mean, I, you know, I met her once at the sale hearing. She came into the sale hearing, and I described the sale hearing of the, this inquiry as the, the, there were two banks at the sale hearing, Westpac and NAB. And the difference between Westpac and NAB is the Westpac executives were embarrassed at what their excuses sounded like when they said them out loud in front of the victims. The NAB's executives were not. Mm. And Chrissy Jones was this executive. My mental image of her is Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Really cold ice queen. Um, so then they quoted Chrissy Jones on this question of NAB not measuring 
branch closures. Remember, they've told all these they've told all these branches we're closing you because visitors are declining, and now they've been caught out admitting well we actually don't measure them. The bank said this is the, this is the Guardian. Um, the bank said measuring transactions was the most useful way to track how often customers used in-person services at a bank branch and suggested that counting the total number of people who visited a branch might be misleading. (laughs) For example, a parent entering a branch accompanied by their children. In other words, the truth could be misleading. We can't handle the truth, according to NAB. And Craig, this sort of behaviour has got up your nose, I understand. Um, And you've acted on it. Well, Rob, we've been, we've been with the National Australia Bank for 35 years and I've been looking at you know, what options do we have as a party to shift our accounts. Now, that's a very expensive process. But why did you want to shift our accounts? Well, simply because I was so impressed that at, at least the partial victory that we had of the Commonwealth Bank not closing regional branches. Putting a three-year moratorium A three-year three year moratorium. And I thought, OK, well, that, that requires support. And I know these banks, they're financial animals, of course, because that's their business. I think, okay, well, now, now it's time to work, walk with your feet. In other words, I, I said, okay, well, I'm going to t- shift my personal accounts to the Commonwealth Bank. I said, if that's all I can do, that's still... If it, and if everyone started to say, well, I, you know, this is supported the... Uh, the, the, didn't support the campaign by saying, I'm shifting my funds, then... I don't know what effect that'll have in the big picture, but at least I can do something small. And overall, so, so let's just be, let's just clarify for the viewer. It re, the, the real motivation is you're disgusted at the bad behaviour of NAB, which has been totally Look, disregarding yeah, of, of this, this is issue. A his, this is a historical issue. And Commonwealth Bank has at least responded to the at least. Inquiry. It's not. I mean, they're not. They're not fantastic. They're, not they're still. No. They're still closing uh, you know, metropolitan branches and stuff. But at least there's a move in the right direction that can support the people. So I said, okay, I'll shift what meagre funds that I have over into the Commonwealth Bank. So I established a Commonwealth Bank account online. It was actually very efficient to do. And anyway, I got a debit card sent to me like you get these days. It says, oh, I'll just withdraw some money. So I go to you, put it in the ATM. It says account restricted. I think, what? What on earth's going on here? So I get, that, that means I have to go into a branch, Robbie. Right, because I don't know who to call, and it's a brand new customer to the bank. So I go in there, and there was a very nice lady. The customer, look, the bank staff are incredible, mm. good people. I mean, they, they're always very, very Never helpful. take it out on the bank staff, guys. So Never. anyway, she says, I think I've seen this problem before. You, I think you've been flagged as fraud. I said, how can it be fraud? I haven't used the card yet. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, she gets onto their, uh, onto their support line inside the bank. I said, is that a dedicated line? To, to, to staff in the bank, she has this dedicated line to the, to the... Anyway, 15 minutes later, she's still on hold. Now, I want to talk about productivity of bank staff. Here's a woman, you know, being paid by the bank to be on hold on a telephone line. <laughs> yeah, and I'm standing around and she sees me. I said, and she says, um, she asked me, she says, can I ask why are you shifting your bank, your bank accounts from the NAB? Because I said, I mentioned I'm shifting over. She, I said, yes, because your bank has decided not to have a moratorium on branch closures in the regional areas. And she says, oh, and it sparked up. She says, yeah, I heard about that. That's great, isn't it? I said, well, I need to stop doing it in the metro areas as well. I said, yeah, I'm from the Citizens Party, so I was wearing this coat, and I yeah. pointed to that. We're just up the road, right? So she was just very, very happy. And anyway, she said, look, Craig, I know you're busy, um, so why don't you uh, leave it with me, and I'll call you back. So she got my phone number. And about 45 minutes later, Robbie, 
This is over an hour of her time just for this particular problem. Only one person. Mm. She finally calls me back and says, Craig, yes, I was right. They had blocked your card. Now, I've got her phone number in my phone, so I've got a personal bank employee I can call if I've got a problem with the Commonwealth Bank, and she'd be happy to take that call. So this is just one... You know, mm. Robbie, I'm a fairly sophisticated person. I handle a fair bit of money for the organisation. I know what I'm doing, but I still have to go into a branch. Yep. So all this crap about not can- counting brands visitations because you don't have a transaction That's right. is rubbish. That, that wouldn't have been counted. <laughs> no, wouldn't have been counted. And, and it, this, this, is a, this, this level of... Um, uh, as I asked you before, Craig, I assume when you're in the, the branch, no one else was there, right? Oh, no, listen, there was, there was tons of people coming through, Robbie. And but how it, can it be? No one's using bank branches Well, there's about 10 people waiting to see someone. Yeah. Right, not just to go up to the teller, but to yeah. sit around waiting to see other staff because yeah. there's so many things, so many things that you go into a branch for that are not, uh, you know, that are not transactional. Yeah. Uh, and mine was just one example of it. Right now, I'm not saying that Commonwealth Bank is any better than all the other banks, but at least they seem to respond a bit more. They to have no, no, no. They responded first to the to the letter of the inquiry uh, requesting a pause, and then. A few months later, they said, okay, now we're going to put more a It's more how bad the NAV's behaviour's been that yep. really prompted me. I said, I, I can't tolerate this anymore. You know, I mean, it's... Look, it, if it, you can do that, if you if you can switch, and, I mean, you know, where we are in Coburg, CBA is probably the best option do. for us um, or, or, or for Craig. But um, there's even better options than, than the CBAs, which is your local, your, your smaller banks, right, um, et cetera. Because, but you've got to let the NAB know, look, we're pulling out of you guys because this behaviour is unacceptable. And that's, look, and I, I will say, because we don't often promote that kind of, um, you know, kind of market activism as such, but it's worth doing. Go ahead and do it. It isn't the panacea because you actually, actually the government has to play a role here and step in and start barking orders at these banks. And that's what we, that's what we want to change. We'll get to some of that in a minute. But that, if, if what Craig did can be replicated, that'd be great. But the other point I think you were going to make is, your productivity and even CBA's staff productivity gets totally stuffed up oh, yeah. because of. I, I, I spent an hour, they spent an hour. Yep. Right. And, you know, even when you look at it on the small, it's only a, you know, but this is replicated. And, and, and this wait on hold stuff is not just happening to bank <laughs> staff, it's happening to everyone out there as well. And then what happens? You wait on hold for 40 minutes and all of a sudden, click, click. Beep, beep. Yep, yep. You get hung up on, and then you got to start again. This One, idea that productivity is that you can save money by having people on hold is rubbish. I mean, people think the companies are saving money because they have call centres that put people on hold for forty-five minutes, and it's not just the banks; it's everyone. Yep. This is a breakdown in how uh, you know, how unproductive our economy has become. Now, let's get back to NAB because. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> Now, you stick with CBA for now unless you find a better one. Unless we get a public bank going. Yeah, that's right. As, as um, uh, I'll just go back to this Guardian article because, you know, as I've said, the truth is misleading. If we told you who's really coming into our branches, you would get the wrong impression that maybe there's demand for our branches and we don't want you to get that impression, right? So that's this whole idea we can't handle the truth. Then Chrissy Jones said this, hand on heart, the decision to close a branch was never easy but based on changing customer behaviour, including, quote, the reality that less people rely on branches for their banking. Guard, the Guardian quoted her saying that two or three paragraphs below the admission, they don't count how many people come to their branches. They have no grounds to ever say this now. They've admitted they're not counting them. 
They are full of it. And, and if, that's why Craig was right to get mad. Then Jones said, and this is the icing on the cake, NAB customers could use Australia Post's bank at post service uh-huh. at 3,400 locations, including 1,100 in regional areas where there was no local branch. So in other words, because the taxpayer has a service called Australia Post, and hopefully we can keep Australia Post committed to that service, I'll get to that in a minute too, um, NAB can say, look, there is a service available for you because that's actually a committed one. But remember, a few months ago, I would after the sale hearing, Craig, because Christy Jones was there, she actually she actually let the cat out of the bag on something, and we'd have been jumping up and down about it for a while. She revealed that NAB was paying, in order for its customers to use Bank at Post, NAB was paying Australia Post $15 million. And when she said that, our ears pricked up. Because the, the, the fee that Christine Holgate had, had negotiated with NAB, with CBA, and with Westpac to use Bank at Post was $22 million. Mm-hmm. And NAB said, now we knew they had cut the amount of money they were paying for Bank at Post. And we were trying to highlight, look, they've actually they've screwed Australia Post down on the fee at the very time they are sending a flood of more people into use Bank at Post. And she keeps saying so. Go use Bank at Post, as I just quoted her. And this is a bank that makes multi-billion dollar profits. Multi-billion. Multi-billion. You're talking about seven million. Yeah, it's the biggest business bank in Australia still, yeah. right? So... And then bear in mind, um, the Sydney Morning Herald, Craig, back in January, did an article on bank branch closures where they actually reported in there the average regional branch, on average, costs about a million dollars a year to operate. A million dollars. So every time NAB closes one of its regional branches, it's saving a million bucks. Mm-hmm. And they've closed, this year alone, 34 of them. Right? 34. So that's $34 million they've saved out of their pocket and they're adding that expense onto Australia Post, right? But not paying for it, paying less. And what are the consequences of that? Well, have a look at this clip. Residents in Melbourne's north are rallying to save their local post office. They've been given just over a month's notice ahead of the closure, which will leave many elderly locals in limbo. The message loud and clear. Australia Post, the community more than a hundred furious residents demanding Glenroy's only post office stay open. I'm disgusted. It's totally wrong. Absolute disgrace. The area's ageing population relies on it for essential services. This is a vital community asset. People, as you can hear, people love and need this post office and so it's ridiculous to suggest that it be closed. The closest post office is at least two kilometres away. If you don't have a car or you don't drive, it's very difficult. Australia Post has stamped out 13 across Victoria in the past 12 months. Everywhere around you, you're relying on services and they're being reduced in all aspects of our life. Australia Post says the decision to close its Glenroy shop hasn't been made lightly and that customer visits have fallen by around a third in the past five years. 200 a day, that's enough. Like, that's a busy shop. Locals say they'll keep fighting to stop post office place being left without its post office. It's set to close in three weeks. We'll be doing everything with our ability to ensure that it remains open. Sarah Jones, 7 News. 
So, Craig, that was the Glenroy post office protest. Yeah, just down the road from here, by the way. Yeah, this is... Our backyard, literally. I, I, go, to, I, I go there all the right. time, Robbie. The, so that's, that's one of the reasons we paid attention. But you notice there they, they reported there's 13 post offices have been closed in Victoria this year. The total figure Australia-wide in the last two years is 60 post offices have been closed. And the total, total figures from the, the peak of post offices in Australia was 4,400. It's now 4,297. So over 100 have been closed in total because there's internal pressure on Australia Post, which has to operate commercially and make a profit. There's internal pressure to cut costs. And what Australia Post is doing now, which Christine Holgate wouldn't do, she rejected the, this um, uh, report recommendation by the Boston Consulting Group to start mass closing post offices. They said, close 190 post offices. She said, no, she will find a way to increase the funding for Australia Post and expand its services. And how did she do that? She got the banks to pay $22 million a year each to fund Bank at Post, right? And of course, she was stabbed in the back, you know, run over by, thrown in front of the bus for that, thrown out. And once, once they got rid of her, the banks, has, the banks have screwed Australia Post down. And so the post offices are at risk from even being there to go and do your banking at. Yeah. And Craig, based on that clip, I also have a question um, whether Australia Post is counting visits the same way NAB does, right? Because <laughs> that's their excuse. Um, and look, there's a, there's, a, but, um, there's a solution here. We put out a press release about this yesterday. There is a solution which is dying to be implemented, the postal bank, right? Create a postal bank and you'll increase revenue for Australia Post and you'll guarantee services for all customers in Australia um, and force banks like NAB to, have a, to think twice before closing branches because I know they'll start losing customers, right, yeah. to the public bank. Um, but let's move on. Uh, the fight back I want to highlight now. The fight back is growing. And I want to, I want to give you this really interesting case. We're going to play another clip now. Um, back on July the 18th, Craig, 18th of July, there's a, there's a professional poker player in Perth whose name is Crispin Rovere. And he put up an angry post on Twitter and it's gone viral. Like just on Twitter alone, this has got 150,000 views, right? So have a look at his experience with the bank. We're going to, we're not going to, it's a nine-minute clip. We're going to play the first four minutes or so of it. Hello, everyone. Crispin here. I want to provide you all with a much-deserved update. First, thank you. Thank you so much for all of your support, for retweeting, commenting, sharing your own experiences. It's perfectly clear at this point. It is not an isolated case. I'm not the only one. It can happen to you. It has happened to you and members of your family. And we are all in this together. So I will do my best to get to the bottom of it. Now, part of that is explaining exactly what happened to me. Yesterday, I went to the ATM, one of the smart ATMs, and deposited a sum of money. It was nothing like what is required for reporting for money laundering or Oztrack or any of those types of things. Uh, and then to do so, you have to provide uh, certain things, two-factor identification, you put in your own phone number, that phone number was linked to my own bank account, and it all happened without incident. Minutes later, the hotel I was staying in sent me a message said, look, we're very sorry, sir, but it seems your card has declined. Embarrassed, I got out my phone, immediately tried to log into internet banking, and an alert popped up instead. So look, we can't log you in, you have to call this number. Well, I called the number and they said, well, our fraud section of Westpac 
has put a hold on this account, frozen the funds. You have to call them and find out what's going on. Now, at this point, I assumed that this was for my protection. Perhaps something uh, unusual happened. Maybe uh, other people had got my details. And so I didn't feel any ill will at all. So I called up this number and I was on hold for over half an hour until it disconnected on their end. Never answered the call. A bit frustrated at this point, I went back to the branch where I deposited the money. Now, thankfully, it was all doing business hours, so I was able to do this. I don't know what would happen if I, if I couldn't. And I went and saw the branch manager there, and she called the fraud section on my behalf. So she's behind the counter and, and we're talking. And they said, well, uh, there was a deposit made to your account in cash. And I was like, yes, that was me this morning. And the next question was, what was the source of those funds? And I was sort of reflexively thinking, well, out of my pocket, of course. Like, what, what kind of a question is that? And then when the penny dropped, I said, well, no, this is none of your business. The funds are perfectly lawful. And I was simply making a cash deposit into my own account, my own account. And they said, well, uh, we've currently frozen the funds. We've frozen the account. You will not be able to access any financial services until you disclose to us what the source of the money was. And I said, look, I've already said that it was lawful. If you're unwilling to let me access my own property, then I will go to AFCA or Parliament. And they said, they thought about it, and there was something, you know, toing and froing, and they said, no, sir, you still need to disclose to us the funds and uh, provide evidence as to the source. So I said, look, if you provide this in writing and your names and details, then I will comply. I will provide the uh, source of the funds and produce the evidence necessary to substantiate it. And they responded that no, they would not put anything in writing and they would not even provide their own names. In fact, the only person whose name I did get was the branch manager who was simply relaying the information backwards and forwards. And so I said, look, on what grounds are you doing this? There is absolutely nothing untoward with what I have done here. And the answer they gave via the branch manager, and she was visibly embarrassed to relay this as an excuse. They said, well, because the deposit was happening in a state separate to where the account was created, it had flagged this. Now, first of all, this is not the first time that I had deposited funds from another state. Secondly, all transactions, all transactions on this account for more than a month had been in the local area. And again, the deposit was made using two-factor identification from my own phone number into my own account. So there was literally nothing suspicious about what I was doing other than the fact that it was cash. Cash itself seemed to be the causus belli, not for investigation, not for referral, but to immediately freeze my funds and prevent me from accessing my own accounts. Now... I mean, that is, a, hmm. that is an infuriating experience, right? He's going about his business and then his whole daily life gets totally well, disrupted because your, of the bank. To have your debit card blocked is infuriating enough, let alone it yeah, yeah, yeah. being completely Can't blocked. Can't pay anything, etc. And then, And then, yeah, and I want to highlight, the reason I stopped the clip where it did, because some people might think, well, 
be reasonable, the bank just wants to know where the money came from. But of course, when you're in a certain frame of mind, you've got to wonder how he got to that frame of mind. He, had a, he was doing, going about his business normally and lawfully, and the bank stuffed his... Of course, you're angry. And then, what, then you've got to think, what business is it of the bank? So then he comes up with a compromise. I'll give you my information. You give me yours. And they wouldn't, right? Mm. So anyway, what that guy has done is actually opened up another front. <laughs> and I'm finding this fascinating because we are bringing so much attention to this issue in general. People are paying attention to the banks. There's a lot of that online, especially online media stuff, Daily Mail, news.com.au. But even the mainstream stuff we've reported here um, uh, about the success of our press releases going to actual media and getting media responses. I've had a lot of interviews on the, some of the biggest radio stations in the capital cities around Australia. Um, the, the, the People are paying attention to this, right? And so um, there's a sense that I don't have to take this anymore, right? And so this guy, Crispin Revere, he started this thing he's calling um, banking is a human right. And it is a human right, because if it's an essential service, as the parliament said back in 2004, that means it's a human right. And he's launched a petition... And I just want to read this out. Now, I'm, I'm conscious of the time, but I want to read out what he's asking for in this petition. Now, this is, we're going to have a link to this below. Please go and sign it. This is a petition on the Parliament's website. There's 22 days to go. And um, after the, if we, whatever, however many signatures we get, we want to get lots and lots and lots. The, the relevant minister will have to respond to this petition. And he's got nine, basically nine demands, right? Um, and this is what he says. In today's digitized economy, access to banking is a human right. Removal of banking services excommunicates a person from Australian society. And I might add here, people have been asking us about this. We are fully on top of the Nigel Farage case as well in the UK. So our party started talking about debanking back in 2019 when we, when we fought the cash ban. And we, we won the fight against the cash ban. Remember, the Citizens Party, John Adams, the independent economist, Martin North, the banking expert on digital finance analytics. We, we led this massive backlash to the cash ban, and we, we won that fight. Um, but out of that came some this revelations, including the one about debanking. We've been following the debanking issue closely ever since. And suddenly it's erupted globally because of what happened to Nigel Farage, got debanked um, in the UK. And so he's gone to war over there. And can I also say, I think sometimes people, when you hear the, the identity of these people involved in these campaigns, Craig, you may have an issue with Nigel Farage, but you've actually got to, you've got to take a very broad view here. It don't, like, if you think that somehow a bank is justified in debanking someone because of their political views, then you're accepting the principle and one day that principle is going to be applied to you. When it comes to services, right, you wouldn't say Nigel Farage doesn't have the right to eat. Of course he does. Mm -hmm. You have the right to eat. You have the right to, to, to food and water and all that kind of thing. And you've got to apply the same principle to these kind of essential services, right? This, this is not to be politicised. Everybody has, I don't care if you're Genghis Khan or Mother Teresa, everybody deserves a bank account. Um, and if, if we, this is, the, this is therefore something, an issue that can be very powerful because it, we can literally all unite on it and, and, and um, take the banks on at their own game. So he's, he's got nine demands. Now, we are, I'm, I'm very conscious of the time. We're running out of time. 
So click on the link below immediately and go and look at those demands, right? Yeah, in this petition. Yeah, they're absolutely brilliant. And the ninth one, yep. which I, so they're all really, really well thought out. The one that he's number nine, the government will guarantee Australians a banking institution of last resort so that no Australian may be permanently unable to possess a bank account. And of course, that's exactly what and we're proposing with the public, with the public postal bank, right? That would, that would um, uh, satisfy that demand. Okay, then... In terms of the fight back as well, I want to highlight two other things that, that's, that are happening in Parliament. So the first one, just by way of a quick update, the ASIC issue is also a fight against the banks. Because when we talk about ASIC and the, and the corruption of the regulator in the financial system, um, there's only one entity, sector, that doesn't complain about ASIC, and that's the banks. It's the banks that want ASIC weak and ineffective. But because ASIC is weak and ineffective, it can't do anything about all the white-collar crime out there, including the white-collar crime in the banks, right? And that's the way the banks want it, and they're running the show. So the ASIC thing is quite significant. And I'm, every day I'm more impressed with Senator Andrew Bragg, right? He's, he's actually doing some really good work as the chair of this inquiry. And I think this last week he's escalated in a significant way because uh, his new metric now in terms of the dysfunctionality of ASIC is quite simple. He's pointing out no white-collar criminal goes to jail. And yeah. this has been a big theme since 2008. And now the question is, are they getting rid of him by offering him a promotion? Well, we'll this, that, that is, we've just heard that. Yeah, it's, that's a very interesting idea. Because if because he gets promoted to the shadow ministry, he can't chair this inquiry. And anymore. that's a problem. That could be a problem. Could be a problem. Watch his speech, though. I just want to, it's a five-minute speech. Watch his speech on this in Parliament. Senator Bragg. Thanks very much. I believe this country has a significant problem when it comes to corporate crime and I believe that the regulators are doing a very poor job at prosecuting people who break our laws and the government is becoming increasingly complicit in this protection racket uh, that is damaging our economy and damaging the capacity of people to seek redress uh, when wrongs are committed against them. Uh, now, there are a series, a series of things I'd like to walk through in the time I have. Uh, and the first is, in the recent budget, the government decided that they would cut the funding available to the Financial Regulatory Assessment Authority, uh, where they decided that they would uh, take money from the FRA and reduce its capacity to do reviews every two years so it could only do reviews every five years. Now, the point of the Financial Regulator Assessment Authority is it is supposed to be ensuring that the regulators are actually doing their job, which is to enforce the law. And we have a major problem in this country where regulators have not been enforcing the law. So cutting funding to that agency, I think, is a peculiar, at best, priority. The second issue, of course, is the PwC matter. And on the weekend, we see that the Treasurer and some other ministers announced, quote-unquote, the biggest crackdown on tax advisor misconduct in Australian history, quote, uh, and that they would, the government would increase maximum penalties for advisors and firms uh, from $7.8 million to over $780 million. Now, that's all well and good, uh, but uh, a very fine law is no law at all unless it is actually enforced. And again... I think the question on PwC and all these corporate crimes is not one of having laws. It is one of enforcement. And I believe these statements made on the weekend uh, are not going to be effective uh, because I don't believe the government is serious about improving law enforcement. And I make that statement with a lot of confidence because 
The ASIC inquiry, which we've been running since October, has uncovered a slew of misconduct issues inside the ASIC Commission, but also in relation to cases where an enormous amount of work has been done by the regulator, but then no action is taken in terms of securing civil and criminal penalties. Uh, and I can name a, a bunch of cases, whether it's Newix or ALS or Superfund executives engaging in insider trading, where the evidence is very clear that the law has been broken, but people are not being put into jail and there are not significant penalties being applied. And the government's priority here has been to cover up our capacity to investigate ASIC uh, through the use of public interest immunity claims, uh, which have been made in tandem by the Treasurer, uh, suggested by the Minister Jones, and of course last week here in the Senate, uh, Minister Gallagher uh, made it clear that the government's policy was to support ASIC's position to cover up their case files, to obfuscate and obstruct the Senate and, of course, therefore give us no pathway for improving corporate law enforcement in this country. Of course, a regulator under siege wants to do everything in the dark, but our job is to push things into the sunlight because sunlight has shown itself to be the best form of disinfectant. Which takes me to my last point, which is about APRA. Now, the FRA, except it's not a great acronym, but the FRA found in its review of APRA, uh, that um, APRA had not done enough work and was underdeveloped when it came to its supervision of the superannuation industry and it needed to do more work on the conversion of unlisted or illiquid assets to cash and unlisted asset valuation practices. At, at estimates in February, I asked APRA about their efforts to ensure that superannuation members are getting accurate valuations particularly as this is an emerging equity issue between older and younger Australians. APRA took the question on notice and then have responded only recently to say that they undertook a survey of 31 different funds. Uh, 26 of those funds were doing quarterly uh, valuations, therefore five are only doing annual valuations. So um, given the market rush we have in Australia on a regular basis, an annual valuation isn't good enough. So in essence... Corporate crime in Australia largely goes unpunished and the government is helping cover it up. And look, he's a mild-mannered guy, as you saw there, Craig, but what, believe me, when a Liberal who used to be work for the financial services sector is actually jumping up and down and saying, why aren't people going to jail, right? That's cut into the chase in terms of this whole mess. And after the 2008 crisis, this, this, this term emerged called too big... The banks were too big to fail, and then we found yeah. that the bankers were too big to jail, right? And everyone knows they get off scot-free. Well, now that's where this inquiry is going. So that's a very important part of the fight back. And finally, um, Senator Jared Rennick, who, of course, is the guy who's behind the regional bank enclosures inquiry, etc., um, he has escalated now in the parliament on the question of the solution. And this is even more frightening to the banks than, than, than um, Bragg talking about sending them to jail because Jared Rennick is all about, let's get a public bank. And so in Parliament this week, he gave this speech. Banking is an essential service. Like most other essential services in Australia, we have both a private and public uh, sector. We have private and public schools, 
we have private and public hospitals. So I see no reason why we shouldn't have a public bank. I might like to point out that under the Robert Menzies government, they were quite happy with the fact that we had a public bank. There was never any need to sell off the CBA or the Commonwealth Bank in 1992. Uh, over the three tranches, it was sold for $8 billion. And yet today, it makes $10 billion a year annually. We have got a serious crisis in this country whereby people cannot get access to proper banking services, especially in the regions, but we are seeing more and more branches closing in outer metropolitan areas as well. I believe that a public bank can fill the gap left by the private banks who are failing to provide these services. They can provide face-to-face -face, uh, services in terms of cash, credit card and lending. It's very important that we increase the range of products available to people. One of the things that I think, I, I don't believe that competition uh, in the banking sector in Australia is robust. And I'll give you one example. In the US, in the United States, you can get a home loan for up to 30 years. Yet here in Australia, the longest you can get a home loan for, uh, in, in most cases, is five years. Uh, we have people who are lying awake at night uh, wondering about you know, whether or not the RBA is going to raise interest rates and put their nose to the grindstone even more. And we're seeing we, what we will see over the next six months uh, is a mortgage cliff where a lot of people, and I think I forget the figures quoted yesterday in The Australian, but billions, tens of billions of dollars are going to be uh, come off fixed rate interest rate loans and then go on to variable rates at about 3% higher. Uh, and that is going to put a lot of Australians under pressure. So I think a public bank, one of the things that a public bank could do is offer much longer fixed term loans at say between 10, 15 or 25 years to give our hardworking Australians comfort in the fact that they know what their mortgage rates will be set at for a long time into the future. But it's not just that they, it's not just that product that needs to be offered. One of the reasons why I ran for Parliament was because of my annoyance in the Tax Act of a section called the Public Offer Test, which basically says that if you're a foreign bank and you lend money into Australia, the interest that we pay offshore isn't taxed. So what I want to know is, is why we can't have a bank in Australia that offers a product to retirees or first-home buyers who can put their money into a bank account and they are offered tax-free interest and fees. I think this would be a much more efficient way of encouraging people to save rather than superannuation, which forces people to give their money to someone that they've never met and there's no guarantee that they're going to get that money back when they're 65. And for that, for that cost, that superannuation cost, the Productivity Commission uh, has said that costs $30 billion a year. So why not offer a service to Australians where they can get interest and tax-free uh, bank account uh, interest on a bank account that encourages them to save uh, both for their home loans or for their homes and for retirement. The other thing that this bank could do is actually offer insurance services. The biggest cost of insurance today is the cost of reinsurance that we have to pay uh, offshore and that, that comes in at about 40 to 50 per cent of the insurance cost. And I don't know about you, uh, but my insurance bills lately have been coming in at, at, at as high as a 30% increase from the prior year. 
Yet again, since we privatised uh, the state government insurance offices, we have not seen increased competition. We have actually seen more gouging in the insurance sector. It is hurting home buyers. It is hurting people who run businesses. It is hurting community groups like the show societies who are struggling to find insurance. Why can't the federal government just offer reinsurance or reinsure itself and we go back to having a national government insurance office that can offer insurance in these branches along with home loans and along with face-to-face -face services. It is not good enough for the banks to be closing uh, in the regions. They have a social licence. They are skimming $7 billion a year on the term funding facility as a result of the GFC, uh, as a result of COVID, sorry, and they were bailed out in the GFC. Ultimately, the taxpayer underwrites these banks so I don't see any reason why we can't have a public bank to make sure Thank we keep you, these Senator guys on. And can I say, Craig, one last thing before we move on to the next subject. Both of those guys are Liberals. Mm. Jared Rennick has even tried to justify, uh, you cite Menzies, right, to, uh, to back up his, his approach. Both of them are dealing with things that Labor used to do. Yeah. Right? Labor was all talk for the last nine years about financial corruption. Yeah, yeah, we're going to clean it up. Now they're, now they're in there, they're protecting it. And of course, Labor was the, the party that gave us the public bank, gave us the Commonwealth Bank. Yeah, well, this is one of the things, Robbie, Australia is ceding its sovereignty, which we get into the next, set, next segment. Yep. And the reason it is doing that, my understanding, is because there is no capacity to fight the threats, the financial threats, the banking threats from the United States against Australia. Now, we know that one of the largest corporate investors in all respects is the United States and the yeah. United Kingdom, right? So what bulwark is there to protect us against the financial threats? There is none. Back in World War II, we had the Commonwealth Bank and the government used the Commonwealth Bank to protect the Australian economy. We don't have that. No, we don't. So the solution to the, the war dangers and stuff is actually a public bank where the government can say, we are going to be sovereign in our credit, in our finances. We're going to use our bank in order to fund our economy. And you can go to hell, you know, US investors, and we're not going to take that threat here, anymore. Here, here, All right. For the sake of time, let's just move on to more of what you've just been talking about. So second segment, the US war plot to silence Australians and steal their resources. Um, and Craig, we, we, we are going to be short on time, so we're going to do this in a more cursory way than I'd hoped. But we'll put below the links to the details people can look at it. But, but first of all, we'll talk about the social media censorship bill. So we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks for a couple of weeks now. It's uh, We're recording this on the 10th. The show goes up on the 11th. So by the time you start seeing the show, there'll be nine days to make a submission because they extended the deadline to the 20th, right? To make a submission to object to this bill, <coughs> which will allow the government to censor social media. And of course, what that means is being able to censor what we're doing right now because yep. it's on social media. Um, a few weeks ago, we reported about the Australian Strategic Policy Institute smearing us and the bank branches campaign as a Chinese covert influence operation. And Aspie said, what we're doing and that campaign should be um, covered by the social media censorship bill, i.e. the Citizens Party should be kicked off social media, right, which we have put to really good use to, to, to promote our campaigns. Um, why are they doing this? Because the Citizens Party is Aspie's biggest enemy in Australia. We're the only institution, a lot of individuals have, and as time has gone by, more people have outspoken, but the Citizens Party for seven years has been at war with Aspie, right? And of course, we identified from, from very early on that when you're talking about um, 
what ASPE is accusing us of, which is essentially in this case foreign interference. If the Chinese are interfering in the bank branch's campaign, that's foreign interference, right? If they can, if they can attach that with our spear. Just like the Trump-Russia hoax. And that's the point. The Trump-Russia hoax actually started all this. In fact, there's a hashtag on Twitter to this day called Trump-Russia. Yesterday, I was watching Sky News, and Tom Connell was interviewing uh, a guy named Mike Rogers, who's a former head of the National Security Agency in America, and he's a cybersecurity expert. And he said, in passing, that the 2016 election that got Trump elected was 100% legitimate. And I tweeted, hang on a minute. He's actually just saying Trump-Russia was a hoax. And just, he said it sort of glibly in passing because they know it was a hoax. They invented this hoax. But remember how it was weaponized and then that became the kernel, seed kernel for what's been evolved in Australia to weaponize foreign interference. Anything they can label as foreign interference because they don't like the fact that we're also outspoken on the question of opposing war with China. And hypocritically, Craig, ASPE is the main vehicle for foreign interference in Australia. They are majority funded by the Defence Department but in reality, they're funded by the U.S. State Department, the British government, the, the Dutch government, the Japanese government, and the biggest British, American, and European weapons manufacturers. And they're funded by them to manipulate Australian politics and foreign policy, right? So their sponsors in the weapons companies can make lots of money from all the talk about war and all the money Australia's shelling out, like the $368 billion on submarines, etc. Um, so what, what has happened, what we've done, though, is one of our... Uh, great researchers, Melissa Harrison, has written an article in the Alert Service, and we'll put it up online. It's called Aspie Central in Global Censorship Network. And Melissa goes through how what Aspie is saying, uh, these specific allegations about us that Aspie wants counted as social media. In fact, Aspie is right at the centre of this US... Um, a cyber operation to smear and censor the whole internet in order to, to promote American strategic objectives. And I just want to rip through some of the, the points um, that Melissa was able to make. First of all, um, Aspie's allegations against the Citizens Party are that the Chinese have these bots uh, which are just programmed inauthentic accounts on Twitter and that, and they amplify our posts. Well, the bots, I've seen them, Craig. I know what they're talking about. They are useless. They add absolutely nothing to what we're doing, right? It's a joke. Um, that's the first point. The second point, as we can't prove they're Chinese, it uses terms like likely, likely potentially, might have, and possibly, yeah. right? They don't know what they are. I mean, they well, no, no, I'm not saying they don't want to know what they are. They don't know. They can't prove they're Chinese like they want to say. Third, and this is the point, given Aspie's connections that Melissa goes through in this article, which everyone should read, it is much more likely that these bots are actually part of a false flag operation against our party so that they set up a pretext to actually make these allegations against our party and have a shutdown because of um, the way uh, these guys operate. So she, she's able to tie in um, Aspie's work with um, uh, an outfit in America called uh, Graphica, where Aspie sources its, its basically its inf information from. Just to give you a flavour of it, Graphica's research partners include the, um, well, Mint Press News called Graphica a front for the US uh, deep state control, deep state to control social media and delete accounts. Its research partners include the, Defend the Pentagon's DARPA, if you've heard of DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, 
the U.S. Select Committee on Intelligence, the Minerva Initiative, a U.S. Department of Defense-funded research organization. Graphica's research partners also include the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, a NATO-funded organization with ties to the National Endowment for Democracy, which is the organization that is paid to overthrow governments um, around the world. Um, graphics, many Graphica staff has formerly worked for US intelligence and national security agencies, and numerous others were educated at King's College in London, which is known as the notorious School for Spooks, which is headed by former NATO military and intelligence officials. Um, anyway, the, the details are, are definitely in the article. And the other thing that we're going to publish next week, but we'll put a link to this article below, is Tony Kevin has written a very important article for um, uh, Pearls and Irritations, and he actually gives and an Tony example. Tony Kevin was the, the... Tony Kevin's a former, a, a former Australian ambassador. That's right? right, too. And he gives a very good example of what's at stake here, why the stakes are so big, why Aspie has to knock out the Citizens' Party, etc. And again, about a month ago, we, we reported on our show that the deal that Anthony Albanese announced with Joe Biden about whatever it was, a month or six weeks ago, whatever, where Australia would be included, counted as a domestic supplier in the US economy, and only Canada before that was included. The question was asked, would this give the President of the United States power over Australia's resources? Right, that was the question. And we looked into it, and um, we Richard Barden reported for us, as he covered on the show, that, well, that's, that is actually a real concern. Tony Kevin has reported how Aspie themselves have published an article by two American writers... It's called An American View on U.S. Investment in Critical mining, Mineral Mining in Australia by Shubham Dwivedi and Gregory D. Wisher, and we'll put the link below, where they are saying that they, they put out like an ambit claim of what America wants hmm. in doing these deals with Australia. And what they want is they want the American taxpayer to fund mines in Australia, right? But... Any entities in Australia associated with those mines come under American control, including to the exclusion of any other country that America, that America orders, and specifically, the big one, is China. In other words, they want to use this as a Trojan horse to come into Australia and say, we're going to, do, we're going to help develop mining in Australia, but you can have a, a, a guaranteed market in America, but the deal is you can't deal with China. And of course, what is China compared to America? Well, America is a country that up until now, we have a $40 billion trade deficit with. They, plus, they, plus they take a lot more money through our, their ownership of all our assets, like they're the biggest foreign investor in Australia. But we are losing $40 billion a year trading with America. Mm. They get the benefit of that. China is the country we have a $120 billion trade surplus with. We make a huge amount of money from our trade with China. China has never invaded, never thought to invade us, like they're trying to say. It, the only actual border incursion, it's got a border dispute with India, which is more even. It slowly crossed the border into Vietnam in 1979 in order to try and please the Americans and quickly pulled back from doing that. It does not have a track record of going around invading countries. It's the country that gets invaded, right? Yet we, who are the invading countries, have conjured up this boogeyman that the Americans, the Chinese are threatening Australia, and so all this is justified. And Tony's point is we are giving up our sovereignty. And he makes the point about the fact that Aspie's talking about this, 
because this is actually quite explosive. But see, very few people read the strategies. No. But what Aspie's trying to do is float the idea. Um, Tony says these are huge ambit claims probably put up through Aspie to test the climate of opinion in Australia, right? And if all the politicians showed how weak they are and no one's, no one's game to take on Aspie and take on the Americans because they might get accused of what the Citizens Party is being accused of because they do cower in the face of that, whereas we don't, right? Then they think, oh, we can just walk in and do it then, hmm. right? So that's on the economic front, Robbie. I was speaking with John Lander, you know, the former diplomat uh, to China, and he made some very ac- accurate, uh, you know, comments about what's taking place with this defence build-up in Australia. We are actually losing our ability to defend ourselves against America because there's so much build-up of American might inside our own country that even if we wanted to, we may not be able to defend ourselves against America. If we woke up one day and realised, well, hang on, that's the threat. That, that is a real threat. So therefore, it. when you start to take on the financial issues of having a public bank or a national bank, right, this is what... You want to say, well, why is Albanese doing what he's doing? Why is Penny Wong doing... Why are these guys so frozen? Why aren't they acting in the tradition of Curtin and Chifley? Well, you can see where the threat's coming. If you do that, that we tap on the shoulder and say, no, we're going to crash your markets, we're going to crash everything. You know, you're going to be responsible for the Australian people rising up and blaming you because of what they can't understand behind the scenes. They're 100% intimidated by that, you're right. And that's, and that's the point, is that unless you have a public bank, and this is why Jared Rennick and you know, all the thinking politicians see, we've ceded our sovereignty away to the point we can't even defend ourselves. And just on that, Craig, because we're, we're about to lose time, but final point to back that up. I wish I had time to play it, but last week in Parliament there was also a debate on Julian oh, yeah, Assange. Yeah, tremendous. And the only the, the Greens made a really good contribution um, to that debate. The only Malcolm Roberts did as well from One Nation because he but he's more independent. The only Conservative, the only Liberal to participate in that debate was Jared Rennie, mm. right? And an unequivocal call for the freedom of Assange, even though the leadership of both major parties, including Peter Dutton, have said Assange should be free. They, they're happy to say it. They're not capable of taking on the, the um, American and British power head on. We're the ones who do that. That's why we're being targeted. That's why this social media censorship thing is, is about knocking us out. And the big evil is the, this, this foreign interference campaign. And that's why you must make a submission. You've got 10 days. A submission is just you writing a letter saying this is a pile of garbage. This must not be passed in Australia. All right. So we're out of time. Craig, thank you for thank you, joining Robert. us this week. Thanks for that great story. Um, Thanks to the viewer for tuning in. Look on the links below and um, do what you can. See you next week. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.